We had a great time. We did the overhaul for a hero, Garcia Project. We presented the house back to the Garcia family, and uh, it, it was just a, a, a great experience. And, uh, you know, before we even get started on anything else, let me bring Brian McFarlane on, who is, uh, what title do we go by with you anyway? We usually go executive producer, okay. but I just do whatever you ask me to do, so... Um, oh, I got my chief flunky here, Brian. That's no. right. <laughs> we have failed my way to the, the top. I think I'm the flunky because i got to do everything you tell me to do. Uh, to you do a great job hosting the show. My job is to put the spots and produce everything. But we had a great time at this project. It was a lot of work, but so rewarding this morning as the family got to see their house for the first time. Yeah, and, and, it, and it, it was. And a lot of, a lot of uh, other people got to see it finished for the first time yes. because as the different contractors come in, you know, they only see their part that they're working on while right. everything is kind of in shambles. And, of course, there were some of those saying, oh, there's no way you're going to have it done and ready but for Saturday. But There were a lot of people that were, well, they were questioning because we had about, would you say, two months worth of work? It's hard to really know. Yeah, but it was all about the things two we months did that we did. In about two weeks. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to run down this list. Um, because and not to mention the rainstorms we had in between. Well, that one was, last night was just a killer. But I was... You know, I was driving in for the dedication, and I, I didn't even bother you on your cell phone because I was just hoping you weren't floating around somewhere. But uh, it it worked out. It was great. We were at the last seconds touching things up, yep. cleaning it out. But th th I've got a list of people we have to thank because we had about 20 contractors helping us with this project, along with you. And I yeah. must say, well, you the, the the beautiful part about doing these jobs is it's it's really not me doing all the work i mean i i get to be there and direct people and yeah i get to be the face of it and get all the credit for it but it's all the volunteers the people who step up and uh, and before you even get started lewis menendez yes of hpd wow i mean this what guy a trooper that he guy came was through. I, he was there every single day on that job site and if i if i had to go take care of something Lewis was there to fill in for me. I mean, he just, he was, he was great. If we needed extra people, I could call Lewis and he'd make arrangements to have some extra people there. He was great. Uh, and, you know, last night I had one of the retired HPD, oh, I didn't even tell you this, no. one of the retired HPD officers who'd been out there working, you know, almo almost all week or uh, the whole time rather as well. And uh, because of the storms, he was going to have a hard time getting home. So, I mean, I was there last night till uh, 8.45 doing stuff, and he was there with me all day and hung in until I left last night. Wow. And uh, it was – got to say this, too. This morning, 20, 25 uniformed police officers at this house to welcome the family in was a great scene. It was like a sea of blue out there. It was, yeah. it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, and, and a lot of these, you know, the, the – Let's face it, the uniforms they wear are probably not the most comfortable no. thing to have on outside in the heat and all right. that stuff. And these guys voluntarily put them on and, and come out to help with the dedication, and that, that was yeah. great. We couldn't have done it without them. The, I will say, we've done a lot of projects. We got the most help out of any project we've ever done from the Houston Police Department. It, they're, they're, yeah, they're the, the union was just wonderful. Amazing. I wanted to rattle off a few people that helped us, too. Okay. I uh, wanted to start with Michael Atkinson at Guardian Roof Systems. Great job on the roof. Beautiful roof. Uh, 
Tim over at Moving by Design, who we are going to talk to in a few minutes, we can't start this project without having a proper mover. And also, the move-in is just as important because if you break all the furniture and scratch up the floors and all that, it, that's not good. And uh, these guys are professionals. They and did we've had that happen we in the past. We had it happen in the past. <laughs> we won't talk about that, but we have had that happen. Not this time, though. Uh, the person I really want to thank, too, is Jenny Haskett over at BK Showplace. What a great person to work with. I mean, she helped us stage everything, got us all the faucets and the fixtures, went out and did a bunch of extra things, like brought some towels in and oh, towel I, racks. Yeah, I didn't need when I told you what change <laughs> I wanted to make in that master bathroom because there, there was right. vanity being made, and I called you up and I said, Brian, I, I, I don't need the vanity. i, I got to have a pedestal sink Right. I, I'm going to make this whole bathroom a shower. Right. And you said, oh, you got to tell her. And I said, <laughs> no problem. I don't want to do it. with her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she was great. And, and I mean, within a day. You had I a guess that does make me your flunky, uh, doesn't no, it? No, no. Go ahead. <laughs> she brought a pedestal sink out there. We got to thank Trey Martin and the folks at America's Choice Windows. The pit crew came out, brought the windows in, took out the old ones. The new ones were in. It was we, were, we filmed this. It was hard to film because they went so fast. They were in and out so quickly. The windows looked great. Dora loves the mom. Uh, Ramiro's mom loves her new windows. And the sound difference in the house. Because this, this, right. this house is near the airport. Right. Uh, near near Hobby. Right. And, uh, you know, there's planes taking off and landing all the time. That's and right. it made a huge difference on the sound. Oh, it was home. great. No, it, a huge difference. And one guy that saved our skin, Daniel Zermino at Zermino Remodeling. This is a guy that probably like you, you've got crews, right? Yep. This guy stayed up last night doing it himself. No, that was the night the, the before Thursday last. night. Okay. He stayed up Thursday night doing it himself so we could finish the project. This I guy wore his is, knees out. He I did. mean, well, he I was mean, taking he, ibuprofen. Yeah, he literally <laughs> we I need I needed some extra help to get the stuff done on time. Right. And he there was nobody available. And right. he literally came in and did the work himself. He did. I mean, he, he went above and beyond. Um, we want to thank Ace Hardware, Ron Williams, Rick Alspaugh, John over at the, the Pearland store. Pearland Lumber and Ace Hardware. Yes, and I got I to got go there. I got a lot of stuff there. That was a, that's, That is one awesome store. You sent me there this morning. They opened at 8 out, 7.59. I had my face on the glass like a puppy dog. <laughs> Please let me in. We got to hurry up. And he greeted me, and we went in and got our doorknobs. Great place. Valspar Paint donated the paint, yep. all the paint. Craftsman Tools donated a lawnmower. And you know the nice thing on the Valspar paint, Brian, yeah. really? Uh, you know, we made some major color changes on the house. Yeah. And most paints, when you make a major color change, you've got to cover it two or three, sometimes four times. Right. That Valspar paint, one coat, everything was covered and sealed up. And it, it really looked, it looked it, great. It did. And, and a, a Craftsman donated a lawnmower because... We put in a, a brand new yard. They had no grass. Now they have grass. So uh, they donated a lawnmower, trimmer, blower. So, And I told uh, Dora, I said, so your son can mow the yard. And she said, that's right. So uh, we appreciate that from Crest. Well, they, donat they donated a few other things, too. All the tools. In, in yeah. particular, a uh, miter saw. A it's in my truck, by the way. Damn well, better not be. It's <laughs> in my truck because I'm going to put that in our trailer for... For doing other projects, stuff. okay. But I, I, I tell you, uh, I, I, that thing came, and I pulled it out. Of, I, I just took the box with me. I didn't even pull it out of the box. We weren't on the job site five minutes before that thing was out and working, and I'm so glad that we had it because uh, there were some trim pieces left 
that had to be done in order to finish the house up in the end. Right. And I would I didn't bring any tools for doing that kind of work with me, but because craftsmen came through with those tools, I was able to finish up the stuff on my own. Saws and all kinds of other uh, power tools that they brought out that are we're going to keep those and do other projects. Uh, Matt over at Midtown Cabinetry helped us with the cabinets and beautiful cabinets. They went with a lighter color, and so Dora thought we made her kitchen bigger. We didn't touch the square footage. We lightened up the color scheme yep. and it made it feel like it was bigger. So we want to thank uh, Midtown Cabinetry uh, and Matt over there. James Hardy obviously donated the siding. Can't beat that. Uh, all the way around. And, and what a difference it made yeah. on the look of the outside. Sure did. And Victor over at Victor's Remodeling and Construction, his guys, helped us inside on a lot of things, but his crew was second to none putting that Hardy on the outside. Did a great job. There's a company known as Do West Services that you know. I'm familiar with them. <laughs> you guys did all the plumbing, put in the carrier uh, air conditioner that was donated by carrier. So um, just a lot of stuff that we put into this house that's going to make it great for them. It's going to be more energy efficient. Uh, it's going to really help with the sound deadening, uh, especially with the windows. They're going to get much lower bills. J Crew Landscape Services put in a whole new landscape. Oh, what a I difference. Mean, and, and they showed up one morning. I wasn't expecting them yeah. that morning. And Lewis says, hey, I got somebody to come out and do the landscaping. They, they again, went above and beyond. Uh, I know we got to go to I got to put you on hold for yeah, a second. Yeah, on hold. Yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah, Dad, just turn you down. We'll be back in a moment with more Texas Home Improvement, 713-212-5874. Remember, freedom is not free. A reminder from the Texas Home Improvement Team this Memorial Day weekend. Here's Jim Dutton. Hey, welcome back to Texas Home Improvement. 713-212-5874. If you're outside the Houston area, 866-937-0003. This portion of Texas Home Improvement is brought to you by Guardian Roof systems and I again I want to thank them for what they did out the Garcia project. I am going to get to the phone lines in just a minute but before I do let me bring Brian back. I guess I do have the control Brian since I got the button. You do from from where you're sitting. Yeah. Uh only during the show. That's right. So, we got a few more contractors sure. real quick to finish up. Uh, the folks over at SecureCheck, they put in a great security system. Uh, with cameras so they can monitor Ramiro uh, yep. in different rooms. And also they can see their front yard, the backyard, all from their now iPhone. Now, you weren't inside when uh, the security system came up, but uh, Mr. Garcia had been coming in and peeking through the windows. I didn't know and, that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, the, and the wife said, see, I told you they would they were seeing you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was hard. To, we moved them out. And then it, we tried to keep them away from social media. So a lot of people weren't putting pictures on. Yeah. We were on our website. So um, I'm sure they saw some of it, but yeah. nothing like when they got there. And imagine that design donated one of the vanities in the guest bathroom that looks great. It did. It came really very nice. nice. That guest bath, I was thinking it looked cool. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, what a transformation. I'm going to tell everybody this. Uh, in a couple of weeks, you're going to be able to see a video on our website at THIPro.com. The Overhaul for a Hero Garcia Project. We're going to have three videos that you can watch. They're short length, but they cover everything. Time lapse of the roof going on. Tim Urban uh, from American Idol is helping us produce that. And it's going to be a really special video to watch. So we're going to put that out pretty quick. They've already got a few episodes almost done. Okay. They filmed today, put that in, 
And, uh, you know, I'll give a shout-out, too. You might want to watch ABC 13 tonight at 6 and 10 because they were out there filming you as well. Yep. So that's it. I want to thank everybody that donated their time. And I probably should mention this. We mentioned Lewis, but the Houston Policemen's Union. Yes. What a great job. There were police officers there every single day, and well, lots of and, them. And, you know, a lot of these guys, like Lewis, they would come and do this between their shifts. Lewis works the night shift. Right. Then he'd come out and work with us until, like, th- yeah, he'd get there. I was going out there at 6.30, 6.45, and he would sometimes be there before I got there. But he right. was always there by 7 and then uh, work till about 3 o'clock or so, go catch a little sleep, work all night, and come back, come back. and work again. Amazing. And I did tell his wife that I taught him how to do all the stuff he, he needs to do to remodel <laughs> her house now. That's great. He didn't find it funny. Yeah, no, no. Well, he did a lot of work. I, I'm amazed at what he did. So what a, we really appreciate everybody's help. Well, real this. quick, uh, you know, talking about the police union, I see that we do have the uh, Doug from the – he's the vice president of the police union. And, uh, Doug, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. I just wanted to say thank you uh, for the family, the Garcia family, and the 5,100 members of the Houston Police Department. We can't thank you enough for uh, helping out this family. It was just incredible. Uh, It it was our pleasure. I mean, we like doing these projects. And, uh, you know, when we were were looking for somebody to do a project for this time, I, uh, I have a lady that works in my office, as for years, and her husband's an HPD officer, and I asked Angela West uh, if she could get me in touch with somebody. She got me in touch with Jeff Wagner, and he says, you know, we were just talking about this officer who had a rollover accident and had brain injuries and uh, ended up being a quadriplegic, and we just we need to get him some help, and everything just worked out great. And Doug, I, I can't thank you and, and your officers enough for, for the great help that you gave us on the project again sir it was an honor just to work with you um uh, with brian all the contractors out there were just phenomenal uh again i can't say enough about lewis menendez that guy is just a class act and uh the same with jeff wagner and our whole crew is just uh, we can't tell you how much we appreciate it and i know the officers at the southeast command station that, that showed up today we're just so impressed, and, and it was truly it was truly a moving moment for us. And, uh, again, it's a blessing to work with you, and I appreciate all your help on everything, sir. Well, Doug, thank you so much. And uh, you know what? I look forward to doing another one for you guys, not for these reasons, but because you were such a pleasure to work with. Well, sir, anything we can do for you guys, you please let us know. Thanks again. All righty. Thank you, sir. Y'all have a great Bye-bye. day. Bye. Ross, how can I help you? Well, I had two questions. I'll try to make them quick. Thanks for taking okay. the call. Uh, League City, 20-year-old roof. In the valleys of my roof, I have the steel gutters. And then the new ones are not putting those steel gutters in. Correct. Uh, which way do you go? Oh, go with the new stuff by far. The, the steel gutters would tend to rust over time and get pinholes in them. The new membranes that they're using are, are almost self-healing. Like if you put a nail through it, okay. it, it goes around it and seals it up. You're just not going to get that in those metal ones. Great. Second question, uh, house built in the 70s up on the 1960 area. Uh, my dad's house, and he had uh, some rodents in the house. Uh, no insulation found in the attic because it's, it's just all gone. The, person wants, the contractor wants to vacuum out what's left. 
and put in a uh, cellulose, uh, treated cellulose product, we're thinking the humidity, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. You don't, uh, you don't want cellulose insulation. It degrades over time, starts turning to dust. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with them vacuuming out the old stuff, but you want fiberglass insulation, whether okay, it's blown in or the bats. That's what we needed to know. All righty. Take Thanks care. Thanks for taking the call. You bet. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Texas Home Improvement. Charles, you've been a patient yes, person. How can I help you? <laughs> well, uh, I've never heard this one before, but I'm sure you have an answer. I, I've got a house that was built in 1933, and it has hardwood floors. And I'm thinking about taking the floor up and using it on the new house uh, for decorations. Uh and I may use it on my new house floor in a small area. Okay. Now, number one is, uh, in that age time period, were those uh, uh, dog-eared or are they smooth? No, it's 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 going to be a tongue-and-groove type situation. Tongue-and-groove, okay. Yeah. What's the best way to take that up without damaging it? You're going to have to start at one edge, and it will damage the first ones. But once you get okay. the first one up, then the rest are able to peel off and separate. Okay. Now, if I use it on the floor of the house, I'm going to use it in uh, concrete and rug. So I'm going to take the rug up, and I'd have to put some half-inch plywood down to nail the hardwood floor too? Uh, yes. I, I would put at least half inch. I'd probably use a three quarter just so I've got a little more bite. Okay. But uh, under ordinary circumstances when you walk on it, it uh, wouldn't make it buckle or anything like that. No, you should be fine with that. And as promised, how can I help you? Good afternoon, and I'm enjoying your show. Thanks so much. Um, Thank you, ma'am. I would like to inquire. I have done some research and hit a wall with regards to removing my Kohler kitchen sink, of uh, those heavy cast iron variety, which is a two-hole, two two-space sink, that I want to put a one-sink Kohler sink, replace it with a one-bowl. And okay. um, a couple of plumbers have... They, I don't know, that color kind of drained from their face when I said, can you do this without damaging my new countertop, which is only about five years old, and I do like the countertop, and I do not want to replace my countertop. So I'm, I'm wondering if there isn't something that dissolves that caulk, or have we come up with, a, with people okay. who are skilled what is, at doing that? <laughs> I don't what know. is the countertop made out of? It is laminate. Okay. So it's a Formica countertop? Yes, it is. Okay. And it, so the sink sits on top then? Yes, it is not an under sink mount. It is an okay. over the top. Yeah. Well, that that makes it much easier then. Uh, there's there's actually, not, uh, you know, they use a siliconized caulk typically when they put that in. Right. And there is nothing I know of that will dissolve that and make it come off. However, if they carefully use a a uh, razor blade scraper to go around the outside of it and 
basically slice through the uh, caulking that's on there to hold it in place. Right. You can usually do that without damaging the countertop. Yeah, it's a, you know, the, it backs up to the wall on one side and then to the refrigerator wooden cabinet on the next one. I have yeah, that. but that, that's fine. Once you got two sides done, you so actually you can, can start tipping it up and reach yeah. in and get the rest. Yeah, that's probably true. I see that. Okay. But it well, takes a lot of work and somebody who's got patience and a lot of plumbers just don't have that. And uh, on your tub, that, or tub, on your sink that we were talking about in the last hour, uh, you know, I, I was saying how you can start with one corner, and as you pick it up, you're able, it, it actually makes it much easier than to get the rest of the caulking off to get that tub out of there, or I keep saying tub, that sink out of there. Uh, typically, there are some clamps underneath that have to be loosened up, and if the plumbers who have been coming out are larger fellas, they may not be able to get underneath the sink and reach up there to undo those in order to tip the sink up and get it out. Not to mention the fact that some of those big coal or cast iron sinks are pretty heavy, and so that could be a problem. But if you want to call uh, Due West Total Plumbing, my company, we could definitely help you out with that. David, welcome to WBAP. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. I'd like to learn about uh, air conditioning systems. I'm considering replacing my air conditioning system. Okay. And, and I understand that most manufacturers of AC offer very similar warranties. So I guess the question I'm trying to ask is, are all the manufacturers building air conditioning systems, residential air conditioning systems, to the same standards? Or are you buying maybe a, a Lexus type air conditioning versus uh, a different brand? They are not all building to the same standards. Um, okay. In fact, the, some of the different manufacturers have totally different concepts of how the air conditioner works even. Uh, they all have a compressor, but there's different styles of compressors, like a scroll compressor versus you know, an, another style. And so that can make a difference. Uh, you know, a lot of, some of the manufacturers have a 10-year warranty on the compressors, but not the rest of the system. And when you get into some of the upgraded systems that have variable speeds on the blowers and things like that, those warranties become very critical. Uh, okay. Not because it's going to break down, but just because you don't want to have to worry that it might break down. Uh, sure. There are some very low-end air conditioners out there. Right. And I would not put them in my house. How would you if, identify a low-end air conditioner? <laughs> the brand, I guess. Brand is the biggest way. And okay. Uh, okay, I'm dancing around it. I would not put a Goodman air conditioner in my house. And and that's why I didn't want to bring a different brand because I didn't want to put you in that position. Yeah. Well, I just did. So. <laughs> um, and and and, um, and the main reason I wouldn't, not that it won't cool the house, but down the road a few years you're going to have more problems it's going to be noisier typically uh, and it typically is not going to be as energy efficient and what happens on air conditioning units as they age the efficiency does drop on them 
that's where it becomes critical to have the better components for a system that's going to last longer. Uh, when you get into the carriers, American Standards, Train, uh, and those brands, which are the true recognized brands yeah. that are considered the higher end, it is not unusual to get a 20, 25-year unit. Even though sure. the warranty ended 10 years ago, when you get into the lower end, you better be ready to replace it at 10 to 12 years. Okay, so some of the lower end uh, manufacturers would have inferior parts compared to some of the upper end brands that we know that we recognize Correct. very quickly. Yeah, it's it's okay. uh, it's plastic parts versus metal parts, that type of deal. Okay, so there is a difference, and that's there why is a difference. Uh, different prices on the end. Yeah. Very good. Thank you very much. You bet. Take care. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. That comes with being not a politically correct show. I'm going to just voice my opinion, and, I mean, that's just my opinion. I wouldn't put that in my particular house. Am I telling you not to buy it? No. But if I want to replace the air conditioning system in my house right now, I'd be taking a look at that Carrier Infinity system. Those things are whisper quiet, control humidity, uh, really just keep you comfortable uh, day in and day out. I just love those systems, so that that's what I'd be looking at. Will, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hey, good afternoon. I have a question about replacing or adding to the uh, attic insulation in a 35-year-old house. Okay. What kind of insulation uh, you got now? Uh, it started with uh, some kind of white stuff that was blown in about 20 years ago. I had stupidly had cellulose blown in and now it's just deteriorated to gray dust yep so that's where i am at the moment okay and do you have recessed lighting or anything in the house uh there's some can lights yeah okay and the reason i asked that those can lights are notorious for letting dust get into the house from that cellulose insulation Okay. I mean, normally I would tell people just cover it up, the, the insulation, and don't worry about it uh, because you it's not going to do any harm. It? Yeah, yeah, just cover okay. over it. Uh, it's not going to really cause you any harm up there other than the dust. Nowadays, when a house is being built, they use caulking around the recessed lightings, around all the air conditioning vents and, and all that stuff to seal the attic from being able to get down into the living space. Right. And and so if you went and did that through your house, you could minimize the amount of that dust that comes into your home from that cellulose insulation. As far as any added insulation, I would strictly use fiberglass insulation. Uh, you can use formaldehyde-free freed, formaldehyde free insulation. Uh, you know, if, and the main reason for that is so you're not breathing the formaldehyde stuff but uh the choices on that are to go with a blown in or the bat insulation blown in will settle over time bat insulation once it's there it's there to stay and if you do put the bats in go across the top of the ceiling joist instead of going in the direction of the ceiling joist do it like it's a uh, yeah do it like it's a checkerboard and you uh, it just encapsulates everything that's there and does a better job for you. Makes it easier to install.
Let's head to Red Oak and Rob. This is Jim. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. Just to say, I love your show. Listen to it all the time. Thank you, sir. I have a plumbing mystery for you. Uh oh. Um, yeah, right. Um, I've lived out of this house on one acre for about seven years, and the house is centrally located on the lot. So I have space in between, you know, on each side of the house for the next property. Um, now I have a privacy fence that I built um, directly behind the house in our backyard, and on. Between the privacy fence and the property fence, um, for about 100 foot back from the street, I have some low areas, some dips in there. So when it rains, there's a puddle there. Uh, yep. When the grass dries out, you're usually they're the last to dry out. I'm sure you get the picture. Well, oh, yeah. Um, this has been happening since day one, and I have yet to fill in those dips with sand yet. But uh, one of the puddles that is always dried out is uh, develops along the back corner of my privacy fence. Now, this year, for the first time, it is not drying out like the rest of the puddles. Of course, with all the rain we've had, it hasn't had a great deal of time to dry out completely any of the puddles. But this has got, like, standing water on it with a, um, a film of uh, a foam, for lack of a better word. Yep. And um, I'm, I clearly know where my lateral lines are. I know where the next door neighbor's lateral lines are. And I was just was standing out there the other day just looking at this and wondering why it's not drying up at all. And all of a sudden I heard a really deep glug, 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 glug sound. Mm-hmm. Um, like four, three or four deep glugs, like four yep. going down a pipe. And I went, huh. And so I went back and told my wife, and, uh, uh, you know, I at least stated to her that something was out there. And I went was back she, out there. And was she doing it. dishes, or was she or, or yeah, was the washing machine running? Which was yeah, it? Yeah, I know that was really important to say, like, she's really going to do a whole lot about that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I went back out there, and... Uh, I walked out there, and no sooner did I get out there, I did it again. A big old, real deep-sounding, glugging sound, uh, like right. water going down a pipe. So I kind of camped out there a while, and about every 10 or 15 minutes or so, it makes a coming from somewhere. I have bushes right there. Uh, it's like I have a pipe sticking out of the ground, and it's, but there is no pipe there. So there's really nothing, in my, my knowledge, I've been there seven years, there's nothing under that grass there but dirt. So How far out from the house is that, though? How far what? How far away from the house is that? Uh, it's probably about uh, maybe 60 feet, 70 okay. feet. And are you on a septic system? Correct. Uh was your wife, and, 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 I, and I was serious, was, was your wife doing laundry or washing dishes or anything at the time? Oh, you were being serious. Uh, no, uh, she was not, actually. Uh, I don't recall what she was doing. She was uh, on the computer, I think. Okay. Uh, the reason I ask that is in most homes that have that much land, uh-huh. the, the septic system handles the toilet and the shower and all that stuff. And a lot of times they would run the washing machine 
and the kitchen sink out onto a line like that because it's gray water and it would it would create those wet spots like that it's a it's a common thing as your lines start clogging up that it does that I'll are bet you, you saying I, that this line is uh, separate from the independent from the line that goes to the septic tank yep well i that's what she thought and what we did is we experimented. I ran the washing machine. I opened up the, uh, the clean-out in the backyard just as it was on the spin cycle went out there, and I could see the water rushing through there. So, okay. And, and you know that clean-out is the one that goes to the septic? Correct. It sure is. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, uh, and I've do... also changed. We have a pump, a, a sewage pump, sump pump there, uh, uh because we're so low, we have to right. pump it out through the out to the ladder line. I've had to change that pipe, that pump twice in seven years. Uh, yeah, so I know exactly where my lateral lines go. They, uh, well, do that do that same check on the kitchen sink. Okay. Just to see if if by chance it goes out there, because if it doesn't, then there there's a possibility you got a lateral line that you're not aware of that goes over there. Oh, you know, okay, but uh, with that with that possibility. Um, my next question would be then, why all of a sudden is there standing water there where there never really was before? Why is it not draining? It's like since our first rain, it's never dried up. I, I can't because, even really grab Because that. it's an El Nino year, and the system is getting old, and it's no longer allowing the moisture to dissipate into the ground like it used to. And with an El Nino year, we get so much rain, the soils are saturated, uh, it just plain can't dry out. As the system ages, the it, it, it no longer is able to absorb moisture like it used to. And so the water that used to drain out through our leach fields starts hitting the end of the pipe, and that's when you have those wet spots. I understand. Uh, that makes sense, okay. Um, is there any, um, any way to solve this problem at all? Oh, Without yeah, it's easy. It's, it's, it's easy. You just got to dig deep in your pocket and, and uh, pay a bunch of money, and somebody comes out and redoes all those lines. Yeah, okay. That's what I was afraid <laughs> you were going to say. Now, re okay. realistically, uh, most cities won't even let you redo those lateral lines anymore. They'll, no, they force, you to, they'll force you to put an aerobic system in. Yeah, and for absolutely. that, you're going to be looking at spending $7,500, $8,000, maybe a little more. Well, with that being said, I hope they're not tracing my call. <laughs> uh, let me let me put that out on the open for no, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you what, I think you just opened my eyes. I think I uh, I have a much clearer picture of what's causing all this. But... Okay. I tell you, I tell you what you can do to to really find out where that line goes, where that wet spot is. Take a probe out there and probe down till you find the pipe, and you're gonna end up moving around a little bit till you find it. Once you find the pipe, dig it up, and you can run a camera line locator from that end on up the pipe to see where it goes. Okay. If, if it's know, a um, separate line like I'm thinking it is, yes. you may be able to take your existing line and just tie it into the septic system and get rid of the problem. Okay. Well, heck, I could probably do that on my own. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, uh well, I, I have a better idea what's causing all this. It's not so much a mystery anymore, I guess. Absolutely. Yep. Well, I, I appreciate your your uh, your input there, and uh, 
once again, your show is great. I'm going to keep you on. I'm, I'm on the road right now, and I'm going to keep you on the rest of the morning. Well, Rob, you have a wonderful Memorial weekend. Now, with all the rain we've been having, uh, there's been a lot of people flooding throughout Texas, not you know, not just in any one given area. And I got an interesting email regarding the floods. I want you to know that I really like and appreciate your show. It is very informative, and you keep things light and move quickly. I have a question about what to do for my home's exterior. Of course, I feel like I have a pretty unique situation. My house is on the lower San Jacinto Riverbank below Lake Houston, which is down in the Houston area. It's in Rio Villa neighborhood and has flooded and will flood again. It is a 30 by 30 structure built on 12 by 12 post and concrete foundation, two-story. Main living is upstairs, kitchen, bedrooms, bath. Downstairs is game room, bath, bedroom. Siding is 12-inch wide cedar shiplap siding running vertical over tar paper. No insulation when built. In 94, fire on the river, flood. I had seven foot of water in the ground floor. Other floods have been three foot or less. After the 94 flood, I removed all sheetrock and put one-inch styrofoam insulating blocks in wall space and covered with a quarter-inch plywood, textured, painted over it. Subsequent floods, I just pulled up carpet, washed out the walls and concrete. I left open windows and doors as much as possible and sprayed Clorox liberally every few days for a month or so to keep mold down. Retextured spots as needed, repainted, new carpet, and done. The old cedar siding is warped and very porous and makes thorough drying out easy after a flood. I know you don't like vinyl siding, which I don't. I hate vinyl siding. Uh, not, not because I don't think it lasts, but because in our climate it's not a good thing, especially if you're in the Houston area. But anyways, a few of my neighbors seem to have success with it. I just got some bids on siding and surprisingly hardy was similarly priced. I did discuss flooding with one contractor that seemed knowledgeable and he thought Hardy might be too tight and not breathe after a flood. Also got a bid to power wash the exterior cedar and paint for 7500 Do you have a suggestion for me in sprucing the exterior of the house? I have even thought of doing the top only and leaving the bottom as is. Thank you for your time and consideration. Paul. All right. <clears throat> In this situation, I mean, you got wood that's already been taking this on and off, and cedar does very well with that type of situation. Uh, however, you start painting it, it's not going to do quite as well because at that point you are sealing it. And so what you'll run into is when you start trying to clean it up, paint will start peeling off of the cedar. Uh, as far as uh, the hardy not drying out. Apparently the guy likes vinyl siding better, which will not stay attached very well in a flood. I mean, it, it, look at windstorms and stuff. Vinyl siding starts peeling off relatively easy. Um, I, disagree, I, I do understand that cleanup-wise, the vinyl siding is easy on the outside, but behind it, the moisture will stay. It'll be difficult to dry it out. And the problem I have with the vinyl siding is in our humid climates that we have here in Texas, and it's not as bad in North Texas as it is down in the Houston area, it sweats behind it. 
and that sweat causes wood rot. If the moisture is trapped behind it from the floods, yeah, you can have the same problem. However, I think it would dissipate. But because you have such a high humidity level behind it, I think it would take months. And so you could have that wood rot problem. As far as a hardy product being uh, too tight, not breathable, it's a concrete-based product. Moisture will travel through it. Now, does that mean water is going to just flow through it? Absolutely not. By moisture, I mean uh, moisture travels through a dam, a concrete dam. Concrete is some, somewhat porous, and so, yes, moisture would travel through it. The paint would be on it to seal it. If I was going to do this product, or, or this project, I would suggest you paint both sides of the hardy before it goes up. Therefore, it's going to absorb minimal amounts of moisture. Any uh, bottoms and tops, everything, sides, everything needs to be painted. If you had to drill any holes through it, paint it and seal it before installing it. And that way, uh, it takes on minimal amounts of moisture when it uh, if it does flood again, or I should say when it floods again, and it therefore doesn't take much to dry it out. But even when Hardy sits in water and soaks, when you take it out in a matter of a couple hours, it's good to go where you could paint it again. So I don't I don't see any issue using a Hardy product on this. Um, so, yeah, if it was me, that I would be looking at going with the Hardy simply because you have so many choices with it and you can coat it the way you want it, and it would definitely modernize the house. Uh, you can also put breakaway panels with it uh, so that, you know, if, if you get flowing water, it can break away without tearing the structure up. And that, that would be one. And you can do that with wood as well. That'd just be one of the things, you know, depending on how your water comes, does it just rising water or flowing water you'd have to take a look at which way it, it does that but yes definitely i would not use vinyl siding especially in the part of texas you're talking about and quite frankly for everybody listening i don't like it in north texas either uh there's just too many issues you get heat too close to it it warps it and you can get that from just the grill uh as it ages it gets brittle it gets hit it cracks and then it's it's not fixable you end up replacing all the siding when that happens. So, it it would vinyl siding is just not on my list of of things I want on my home. So I would again highly recommend that you just take a look at replacing it with Hardy. Got one here on a cracked slab, and a lot of times people think they have a cracked slab when they they truly just have a slab that has moved. Well. This one is, my home built in 2006 has a cracked slab. Discovered while replacing my living room floor, quarter inch separation, moving diagonally from back of house to front. At a quarter inch, you've got the right to say you've got a cracked slab. If all you see is cracks in the slab, all concrete cracks by nature, that's what steel's in it for, is to hold it together when it does crack. So if you've got a quarter inch separation, the steel... The reinforcing is not doing its job. Now, continue on here. Okay, which has resulted in doors that will not open and numerous cracks in interior walls and a few cracked bricks around windows and doors and separation of faceboards on roof away from the brick. 
I've had, and I'm not going to list the company names, four different foundation companies come and give quotes. Problem is that every company gives a drastically different proposal on how to repair my post-tension slab. Okay. One says piers all around the house. Another says on one side only. Yet another one, one side of the house and through the center of the living room. Another in the kitchen, garage, and back of house. This lack of continuity led me to ask an independent contractor to review the situation. He has no financial incentive. His conclusion, do nothing. His logic, one, it may never get worse. Second, if you lift the post-tension slab, it will then crack all over and cause a load shift, which has caused walls to fall. Or worse, it could crack the water sewer lines. Third, you waste potentially $20,000. Your independent contractor has his head up his butt. He don't know what he's talking about. Anyway, I'm at a loss of what to do. In the summer, several doors became unusable, resulting in a safety hazard for my family. But after heavy rain, it will subside. During the winter, there are gaps from planing doors, allowing cold air to flow in. This is independently built home. The individual who prepared the slab has passed on. The builder has dementia. However, the engineer came out to look and stated this is not a failed foundation because the tension caps have not broken and they have not put peers like he recommended so you have no recourse on me he's probably right you got no recourse on him but he's an idiot for thinking that just because the caps didn't pop that something hasn't failed he stated that a soaker hose around the slab was one of the worst things you can do do you agree is it safe to wait who can i trust thanks for your time and attention eric all right eric first of all Typically, foundation repair is not an emergency situation. So, yes, you can wait. The engineer who told you don't put water doesn't know what he's talking about. Think about what you wrote here. When it got dry, it went down. When it got wet, the problem got better because the soils expanded. So by putting soaker hose, you keep the soils expanded, you keep the foundation up. In fact, I sit on a couple of engineer committees where we have written reports and papers on this uh, to help homeowners out. Uh, as far as the difference of opinions on stuff, you got to remember, most of the people who come out to check foundations have very little training on it. And your contractor that you had out, I guarantee you had no training on it. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of times builders think, oh, just it, it's going to only settle so far and it's going to stop. It doesn't. I do foundation repair for a living. I have tried to get the, the industry license like plumbing and, and uh, other industries are because of this. You're making a structural change to a home. But on top of that, it, uh, again, if, if we go back to what's causing the problem, if these different contractors don't learn this well enough, they don't address it properly. And most of them will tend to look either strictly at the cosmetic or strictly at the elevations, and they don't look at everything and put the big puzzle together. So what I would recommend is you need to find an independent engineer, not a contractor. Now, normally I, I don't make this recommendation, but because you're, you've had so many people out, got so many different opinions, rather than saying, hey, just call me as a contractor get an independent engineer to look at it 
who specializes in doing foundation inspections. And they can do a layout for you as far as repair. Then you can put that out for bid. And just keep in mind, not all foundation repair is the same. As you learned, these different contractors were looking at things differently. The repairs are just the same way. Some contractors have it in their head. Uh, they, they only have to go so deep and the problem will be solved. Others know that you got to go deeper. It really just depends on who you get. Now, obviously, I'm going to tell you, call my company, Due West Foundation Repair, uh, 972-406-0912 if you want to make that call. But, uh, and if you want us to refer you to an engineer, call us. We'll be more than happy to refer you to an engineer as well. Rob, how can I help you? I, I would like to put in a car porch, an independent car porch, and in my rear of my house, not, in, not tied to the house, but just uh, in the uh, backyard. However, I want to put also put in a driveway and tie the driveway into my existing driveway. Do I need to get a permit from the city of Dallas? Yes, because you're going to be putting up a structure. Okay. And you know, for the for the driveway, they may not require a permit. Typically, mm-hmm. they only require it if it's down tying into the the road itself. Okay. But for that structure that you're talking about putting up, they're going to be checking easements and things like that to make sure that it, it takes okay. not even on though it's, Even though it's not going to be, it's not, it's, a, it's something like a, a shed that yes. you can pull a car in. It's not going yeah. to be tied into the house at all. It, it's not, but it's going to be anchored into the ground. And it, they right. got to check two things. One, to make sure that you're not over easements. Two, that it's structurally sound enough that when we have these 80-mile-an-hour winds that come through and stuff, it doesn't just blow over. Okay. How much is a permit from the city, you know? Oh, for something like that, you know, it's typically based on the dollar of the amount you know, that you're building. So on something like that, you're looking at minimal. I, I, you probably wouldn't even hit $50. About $50? Yeah, it's, it's not very much. Okay, okay, that won't be no problem. So uh, they'll come out and inspect the, uh, do I need to have a drawings all that? Yep, that's what they're going to require is the drawings, a survey to show where it's going to be, or a plot, rather, to show where it's going to be on the property. Mm-hmm. And then you got to go through the, the hassle of uh, going through the different departments to get the approval on it. Uh, it, it, it. be honest with you, it's somewhat of a pain to get. The cost is the least factor of it. Right. So, okay. Here's, okay. Here's thank a downside. You if you Bye-bye. don't, if you don't pull a permit, and this is for everybody listening, you do additions, you build any type of structure like that, and you don't have it permitted, the city can come out and tell you tear it down, that it's not acceptable, and they don't even have to look at it and see that it's built properly. The fact that you didn't pull a permit to do it gives them the right to do that. So I, I, I tell people all the time, do not build structures without getting a permit now little sheds that are on skids that you can move eh, sometimes you can get away with that but anything that's going to be anchored in the ground like like we were just talking about no you've got to have your permit jacqueline can i help you hello yes ma'am uh yes yes i do have a question i have um vinyl tile and the den area Uh uh-huh and I'm observing that after rain, it appears that the tile is loosening near the patio door. 
I'm prepared to have laminate um, installed like within two weeks. Mm. Should I halt that project? You need to make sure that they do a moisture test before you put that laminate down. Okay, so these are professional installers, so they should know to do a moisture test. But they don't do it. They don't. I have to request that. You have to request it. Uh, You would think that flooring companies would learn after a while that uh, they need to be doing these moisture tests, and they all know about it, but Mm -hmm. for some reason they don't do them. And what can happen, uh, you know, what what you're experiencing is is moisture is getting onto the glue, and the glue lets loose. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. The floor you're getting ready to put in is it going to be a floating floor or glued down? Okay, I didn't understand your question. Is it uh, is uh, the new one that you said you're getting ready to have put in the laminate? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be a floating floor or are they going to glue it down as well? I'm presuming they're going to glue it down. Okay. I, I have to. Yes, I'm presuming they're going to glue it down. Okay. Well, the reason I ask, you know, the, the, a lot of them are floating floors nowadays where uh, the uh, moisture barrier goes in first and then the pieces are, are locked together and it just mm-hmm. floats on top of that. Mm-hmm. And that can help with some of it. But the fact that this is by a back door, mm-hmm. uh, is the back patio covered or anything or is the water hitting it and splashing up and coming, coming in? Uh, no, the, the patio is not covered. It is not covered. Okay. That's going but to create a problem. But it is tilted away from for... the door, though. I mean, it is tilted away from the door. Yeah. But, well, <laughs> what happens, though, is when the rain hits the concrete, it'll splash up, and it can come up under the doors and stuff. Of course. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it gets that concrete saturated then, mm-hmm. and that's when the glues will start softening. Okay. And what you'll find on a laminate floor or a wood floor, I, I a lot of times don't recommend to glue down wood floors for the same reason. Mm-hmm. Moisture that comes up through the concrete will soften that glue, and when you walk on it, you'll hear that tacky sound. Mm, okay. Where it goes, you know, and, 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 and it's just mm-hmm. that glue not releasing all the way, but also not sticking all the way any longer. Okay. All right. All right. I have now I will give I will give you what I would look at with this. Okay. Uh, since it is at a door mm-hmm. that is subject to being hit by water, mm-hmm. if you want to still have the laminates, what you may want to look at doing is putting some tile just right there at the door. You know, I thought about that because I'm having tile put in the kitchen. Oh. And if, and if you're going to have that done anyways, I would stick. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. yes. I now you got two ways of doing it. One, I don't know what size tiles you're going to have installed. But you could have just a square pad there or just have one that's, you know, kind of got a, like an umbrella type loop to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just something so that w- the moisture that does hit the door doesn't just automatically get onto whatever type of flooring you've got there. And the tile can take the rain. The mastics they use for it, mm-hmm. uh, it's typically going to be concrete based, so the moisture yeah. won't mess it up. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So then, but should they still do a moisture test? Abs- just absolutely. Okay, moisture test. Okay. And and so. just FYI, there's there's meters that they can use. If they mm-hmm. don't have a meter, the quickest and easiest way to do one is take a one foot by one foot square sheet of plastic, clear plastic. Mm-hmm. Tape it down onto the f- concrete, the mm-hmm. bare concrete, for 24 hours. 
mm-hmm. and see if any moisture accumulates under the plastic. Ah, okay. If it does, you do not want to glue floors down on that. All right. Okay. I really appreciate your information and advice. No problem, Jacqueline. You have a great Memorial weekend. Thank you so much. You do the same. Bye-bye. 80. Now, I got an email that came in. My concrete patio extends about 10 foot from the back wall of the house, and 8 foot of that is covered by the natural roof line. The house has had bell-bottom piers installed a while back, and several were put on the back wall in the patio area. The patio does not appear to be part of the normal house slab, and it has cracked terribly and slopes downward pretty bad from the house. There is a back sidewalk that comes off the patio and it also has cracked and slopes down. The wall also is right next to the back of the house and has had piers installed under the back wall of the house. I want to replace the patio and walk. Will it be a problem to replace or working around where the piers were put in? If I want to possibly take into the house the part of the patio covered by the roof what kind of specs of concrete should I put in, and should I put beam around the outside edge? I then may extend the patio out from the natural roof line. Any suggestions? Okay, first of all, yeah, you don't have to worry about where the piers are. Uh, I would document it so that should they ever have to be dug up and adjusted, someone can measure off the documentation of where the piers are to be able to locate them. As far as the what you should do if you ever want to turn that patio into a room, absolutely it's got to have beams on it. I cannot tell you how many times I've had to go tell people, I'm sorry you built on a four-inch patio, you can't do that. And why cities allow it is beyond me, but they do let them put those sunrooms and stuff on that. Uh, I think most cities have done away with that now that do require the beams, but you've got to have beams. Minimum. You ought to be looking at a minimum of 16 inches, and really it needs to be more than that. 18 to 20 is pretty standard. Uh, Normally what you need is a soils test and all that, but when you're doing an addition, I know a lot of times that's not done, especially one like this where you don't even know if you're going to build. I would probably put an 18-inch beam around the perimeter, and given the size of this being just an 8 by 10, I don't think I'd worry about any cross beams because normally you put cross beams every 10 to 12 foot on a place. No wire mesh. Use concrete and rebar. The rebar is the reinforcing. Wire mesh is in in a 6-inch grid, and when they're pouring the concrete, they got to walk out on there. And when you use a six-inch grid, you're actually walking on it. So even though they put chairs under it to hold it up in the middle of the concrete, when they start walking on it, they push it down below the concrete. They push it into the dirt and the sand below it. And I know the contractors will say, oh, well, we pull it up. Reach down, grab your bootstraps, and pull up. You're not lifting anything. And you're doing the same thing when you're walking on that wire mesh. If you use... Number three rebar on 12 to 16-inch centers, you've got something you can walk between, but it stays, the reinforcing stays in the middle of the concrete, so it does a much better job for you. 
That's why on roads, you don't see them throwing wire mesh down. You see them laying rebar. Keep that in mind. Uh, as far as the concrete strength, 3,000 PSI is the standard. Uh, you can go a little bit more than that, but I know sometimes I hear people wanting to order 5,000 PSI concrete. There is absolutely no reason to do that. 3,000 is the norm. I wouldn't order anything over 3,500. And then as far as your patio, same specs. If you want to do a patio itself, uh, you know, beyond this edition that you're talking about, still use the 3,000 PSI concrete and still use rebar. I don't use wire mesh on patios. I don't believe on it in sidewalks, nothing. Everything should be done with rebar so it, it holds up better. How can I help you? Yeah, I have a question. I've been reading different things online. I bought a um, an unfinished uh, kitchen table and purchased some oil-based paint uh, to, to put on, and they recommended sanding in between every coat. And I read that you should sand after the final coat, but the problem I have is every time I sand it in between coats, it has a dusty look to it. Uh -huh. I'm afraid that if I do that after the final coat, um, then I'm also going to have a dusty look. And, and I was told with oil-based paint, you don't need to put a a clear coat on at the end, but didn't know what you recommended. You don't have to put a clear coat. Um, the sanding, if you were going to sand it at the very end, would be with something along the line of a like a four or six hundred grit paper. Okay. To avoid having that, it it almost becomes a polishing cloth. Uh, however, if when you put your final coat on, if it's nice and smooth, there's no reason to sand it. Yes, sir. Okay, sorry. Well, was that a question? Sorry. You, you, uh, oh, I, I was saying, however, when you put your final coat on, if it comes out nice and smooth, there's really no reason to sand it. The reason for the sanding is to take any ridges off and any any places where the wood might have expanded a little bit when it got the moisture on it. So by the time you've applied a few coats, you should stop having that. And as long as your brush strokes are, are nice and even... Uh, there really won't be a reason to have to. Well, do that, that, that may be part of my problem. I was using a, a paint sprayer, a Wagner paint sprayer. And, ah, yes. And they, I'm unhappy. You know, it, I think on a fence, you don't notice the small little bumps, but when yes. I'm spraying it up close and I put so much work into it, I notice it. And, and I didn't and, know if. Um, and that is the problem with the, with the with the Wagners. They work great if you're painting a wall, even or something. They work wonderfully. But when you're doing finish work like that, it's more of a splatter gun than it is a true paint sprayer. And so it do, it doesn't break the particles down into a mist like a sprayer should do. Okay. And, well, and what, so what would you recommend? Would you recommend smooth. the four hundred or six hundred? Or I've read somewhere about steel wool, like the four aught steel wool. Yeah, four aught steel wool. Uh, well, if you're using the Wagner sprayer, I don't think that'll take it down enough. I think what you would need to do is hit it with the four hundred, hit it with a six, and then steel wool, and that would po polish it back up again. Okay, and would that lose some of the, I think we have semi-gloss paint, will that lose some of the shine when I do that? Yes. Okay, so i got to choose between uh, the shine and, and very, I don't think my wife can notice the bumps, but I've, I've been staring at it so much I can. <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunately. Now, you, I mean, your other choices on your very final coat is to use a good brush and brush it on. Okay, well, and the other problem I had is when I've been painting, I've, you know, I can't, there's always tiny bugs end up landing on it, and then I feel compelled to uh, to do a light sanding afterwards. So I don't know if there's any recommendations of 
I guess I can just do it indoors if I'm doing the uh, the paintbrush. You, yeah, you could do it indoors. Uh, obviously, you could, uh, you know, use a spray around before you you do it. But bugs, when you're doing it outside, bugs are always a problem. Uh-huh. Your final coat really ought to be done inside. And then I read somewhere that it takes three to seven days for it to cure. At what point in that curing process do I should I sand? Should I sand right after the paint's dry, 24 hours later, or should I wait until it's cured a little bit? Uh, wait until it's cured a little bit. Give it give it a couple days. The sooner you do it, the easier it will peel if you hit it too quick. you got to wait for it to be hard. And with that, have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy your Memorial Day, and don't forget the meaning of Memorial Day weekend. We'll be back next weekend with more Texas Home Improvement.